0: Love Talk radio.
1: Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, your weekly radio show host for the Spirit Seeker Hour, <clears throat> brought to you each and every Thursday from 7 until 8 p.m., and occasionally we do do a two-hour show, but tonight we will all be on the air from 7 until 8 I just have a few announcements before I bring my guest onto the air. Uh, Number one, it is spring, and everyone is kind of finally coming out of hibernation from winter, and there are many, many wonderful classes, events, activities, and um, a good way to find out about wonderful mind, body, spirit events throughout the U.S. is to be a part of our uh, mailing list. We have our monthly magazine that you can read at spiritseeker.com, but in addition, we have a weekly email newsletter, and we let you know know who the radio show guests are, who's on the air each week. We let you know of wonderful Mind, Body, Spirit events um, throughout the U.S. And so um, we also give away books. We give away CDs, DVDs, and tickets to things because we are abundantly blessed by people being so generous and especially for the radio show uh, where we're given uh, books to hand out and um, say thank you to our subscribers and our listeners. So send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at Spiritseeker.com and ask to be added to our email list, or you can just go to the Spirit Seeker website and there's a join our newsletter button there. So that's really pretty much it, other than you will find Spirit Seeker, some of our upcoming events where you'll find the magazine, Earth Day in St. Louis. Uh, we will also be at the Pagan Picnic. We will be at the Body, Mind, Spirit Expo in Chicago and Tinley Park in June. We will be at the um, Crossroads Conference in St. Louis. Uh, in May on Mother's Day weekend, we will also have magazines at the Pegasus Psychic Fair and at the, um, the Craft this weekend in Belleville. We will also be at the Celebrate Your Life event in Chicago in June, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Things are just beginning. Okay, so that's it for announcements. Um, I just want to thank you for supporting the show. We know you're listening because we get the stats. Okay, so tonight my guest is Julie M. Simon. She is the author of When Food is Comfort, It's a newly released book that offers a mindful approach for ending emotional eating. Tonight Julie will discuss and explain that emotional overeaters can learn to self-nurture instead of turning to food for comfort through the simple easily mastered skills her book offers. Julie is a licensed psychotherapist and life coach with a full-time private practice specializing in eating and body image uh, challenges and associated mood disturbances such as depression and anxiety. She is a certified personal trainer with 25 years of experience designing personalized exercise and nutrition programs for various populations. She has been on CNN, all kinds of major TV shows uh, and other media, and she brings wisdom to all of us. Her website is www.overeatingrecovery.com. And uh, with that, I'm going to let Julie tell us about her. So Julie, welcome to the show.
0: Hi there. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, and I think this time of year is perfect for your release of the book because, you know, so often people just kind of ignore things, you know, it's, it's like bears going into hibernation during the winter and then all of a sudden we come out and are like, wait a minute, what happened? You know, you try on your clothes from the year before and it's like, wait a minute. So um, so I think with spring, when everything's coming back to life, this is a perfect time to be discussing this wonderful book. Um, Yeah, it really
0: is, you know, also because people set up those uh, New Year's resolutions and around this time they start feeling like, ah, those resolutions I made to eat more cleanly and maybe take off a little weight uh, is not working. Somehow I'm back to my old ways.
1: Well, and it just is so easy to fall back into that and... Um, I like how you're, the title of your book, When Food is Comfort, Nurture Yourself Mindfully, Rewire Your Brain, and End Emotional Eating. And your book is so uh, thorough with really looking at the early part of our life um, with the what we learned about nurturing from our household and family and all that. But I really liked how... You didn't use it as a um, as a as an excuse or a tool. It's like okay, and I'll let you talk about that because I like how you um, started with your your inventory, your questionnaire, and then used that as the basis for everything else. So, <clears throat> so tell us about your book. Tell because I know this is your is this your second book or have you written more yes, than these two? this is
0: yeah, this is my second book, and um, it takes a deeper dive. Uh, than the first book it kind of takes off where the first book leaves off um, and the reason I wanted to write this book this second book was because there's the recent advances in brain science are so exciting in the sense that they really uncovered the crucial role that our early social and, and emotional environment uh, plays in the development of imbalanced eating patterns so that means snacking mindlessly, um, snacking, um, you know, too often, even when it is, when we are mindful of it. Um, overeating at meals, binge eating. So whenever we're dealing with imbalanced eating patterns, whether or not we have excess weight on our body, there's something out of balance somewhere. We're we're eating when we're not hungry. Uh, um, something's out of balance, and so the. What the recent research shows, which is exciting for a lot of reasons, is that when we don't receive consistent and sufficient emotional nurturance during our early years, when our brain is forming and laying down its wiring, if you will, our nervous system can become wired for high reactivity. And this makes it more difficult for us to soothe and comfort ourselves, and it leaves us at greater risk for seeking comfort from external sources, such as food. And like what you were saying before, I'm never about blaming parents or caregivers. My book isn't about looking to find fault. It's really about trying to understand what happened to your brain. Did it get wired for high emotional reactivity? Meaning that when you're under stress, uh, when you're really tired, when times are feeling difficult for you, even when you're bored, that you just have difficulty regulating your behavior with logical arguments, you know trying to tell yourself, "I shouldn't be eating this, I know this isn't healthy for myself um, For me, why am I doing it right It's because you're under the influence of an emotionally dominant part of your brain, and your brain got wired that way early in life, and so the good news is is that just like the experiences early in your life wire your brain in a particular way. New uh, neuroscience shows us that experiences later in life can also rewire the brain. So this book is about a seven-skill mindfulness practice. We now know that mindfulness, you know, going inward and really paying attention to our inner world, uh, can really help us rewire our brain. And so that's what's so exciting.
1: Well, exactly. And, you know, so many of the parents – you know, I mean, it depends on what age group we're talking about. But let's just go back into, you know, before there was Wonder Bread, before there were Fritos and Cheetos and all this other stuff. I mean, back in the day, there wasn't any of this stuff. I mean, we were a society where you had three meals a day and you ate and if you didn't eat what was on your plate, oh, well, sorry, you know, you'll just be hungry. And, you know, we we we've morphed into there's like so many choices in a grocery store and so many it it's just I think the mindfulness aspect if it was taught especially to young children, um, you know, right now we have to teach the parents because all you know, really the parents are the 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 providers and so much in society today is rush rush rush, 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 rush. And you know, I I'm I'm gonna you know be honest. I'm in my early 60s, and you know I can remember the very first fast food restaurant being built, and people really didn't think anyone would go to it. You know, like who's gonna go there? Like who's in that much of a rush? And yet, that's our society today.
0: Yeah, and you know it's funny because
1: only, the only one piece of the overeating puzzle
0: really is the the convenience food, the highly processed convenience food and the excess of foods of animal origin that that we're all eating and that we're all exposed to. But if, if we go back, like you're saying in time, there's another piece that's very critical, and that is that 70 to 100 years ago, you know, children really were raised more in villages. You know, really, even in America, I mean, you had large extended families, um, and so parents didn't have the same kind of stressors that they have today. So, for example, today we have children, you know, who are being raised by single parents, you know, divorced parents, um, parents who are, you know, working a couple jobs, you know, to put food on the table. It's it's much more challenging. And children don't have the exposure to as many nurturing others. So uh, 70 to 100 years ago, if, if you're, Let's say your mother had some mental illness challenges or physical health challenges, or your mother wasn't so great at nurturing well, you know grandma was over more often, there were aunts, you know there were neighbors down the street. There was a good chance you were going to find somebody in the village, if you will that that was nurturing that nurtured you um today. Children are really at risk because if they're caregivers if they're direct you know, nuclear family parents are are missing some skills in terms of caregiving, those kids are going to miss out and their brains are going to get wired uh, in a way that's going to lead them to look to external sources of comfort. So, for example, if, you know, just for your listeners, if perhaps you had a parent who, if you came home from school and you said, you know, the kids didn't want to play with me after school on the playground and I just sat and watched and they were making fun of me. And your mother says, oh gosh, let's go out and get an ice cream, right? Now, she's well intended, she's kind, she loves you, but she's actually not really helping you process through what happened. And she's helping you, teaching you to associate pain and struggle with go get comfort food. So, Even a well-intended parent might be missing the skills to help you identify what you're feeling, identify what's happening in your body after you just came off the playground with those kids, um, understand those feelings, validate those feelings, help you look at some of your thoughts. Maybe after you've been around those kids, maybe you're having thoughts like, I'm ugly or I'm stupid or no one will ever like me or I don't fit in anywhere. And you need your caregiver to go in, to tune in. We call it attunement, to tune in to the emotions you're experiencing, the thoughts that you're having, what your needs are, and help you process through all that. Parents today are so overwhelmed that many of them are feeling challenged doing this for their children, and and this is why The brain isn't getting wired properly and why we I think why we have more addiction than we've ever had
1: I I think you're right about that it's we've always looked like I loved how you addressed this in your book that we you know we've looked at alcohol and drug addiction and some of the other addictions but and gambling addictions and you know lots of them but food has been kind of like this thing that just is a is a mystery like I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but people do not know about health and nutrition. You know, hospitals are not trained for it. Uh, I mean, you go into a hospital and the food is the absolute worst food, and they think they're feeding you correctly, and it's just not the case.
0: It happens even when you just walk into a grocery store. You know, I went to the grocery store the other day, and I was just standing in there, and I thought, it is so amazing how when you walk in, you are bombarded by mass quantities of processed foods, and the healthy foods are on the periphery of the market, right? Right. right. So this is very right. enticing. Manufacturers uh, are really playing to the addicted brain. Um, many of us, like I said, because of the wiring the, the wiring that got laid down in our brains, many of us have a susceptibility now to the way various substances alter our brain chemistry. Um, so, Because when we don't get the sufficient and consistent nurturance we need when we're young, not just our brain wiring, but also our brain chemistry gets affected. So we may not be making enough dopamine or serotonin or endorphins. And it's very easy once we find these substances out in the environment we have a bite of a scone or we have a drink of alcohol or we smoke a cigarette and we find wow my brain feels fantastic you know i feel so much better it's a pretty uh, slippery slope you know into uh being addicted to anything including food
1: you know, I, I like how you bring up it takes a village to raise a child because, you know, I, I work a lot with multicultural diversity across, across the way with the work that I do and publishing the magazine. And what I've seen with so many families is that the elders cook and the young ones go to work and the elders watch the children. And there's like this whole multigenerational thing of whatever it takes to make it all work. And That's what it used to be. Yes. It's, but it's still that way in ethnic families. It's just not the American family.
0: Exactly. And, I and think it's that way are. in ethnic families because of finances.
1: Right, they're all living together and working together and supporting. Right, exactly. And, you know, with American families, it's just not the case. But um, but starting with this, the, the thing that I loved about your book is that you give hope. It's like it's just because it was that way, you, you don't, like the solution isn't to blame your parents. Well, I didn't learn how to do this because my parents fed me garbage or I, I lived on frozen food or whatever the case may be. Um, you 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 give concrete examples of uh, but i love how you work with the brain chemistry i'd really like to talk just a little bit about that because that really seems like it's such a crucial part of all this well it
0: is you know the seven skills in the book are designed uh you know to help help you regulate your your nervous system your emotions and um rewire the brain but as i said and rewire the structure, the the integrative connections between the the emotional brain, the part that says, I want what I want when I want it, because I'm stressed out and alarm bells are going off, and the upstairs part of the brain, the cortex, where the self-regulation circuitry resides, where we can um, soothe and comfort ourselves and manage our impulses and set limits with ourselves, So that's the structure of the brain. But as I said before, when we don't get that sufficient and consistent nurturing in infancy and early childhood, the chemistry, the structures that that create the neurotransmitters, the brain chemicals in the brain, don't necessarily form properly. And so we can have brain chemistry imbalances. And brain brain chemistry imbalances will often lead to uh, an attraction to certain substances. So, for example, if your uh, serotonin levels are low, you may tend a little bit towards anxiety or a little bit towards depression. You may find that you're craving sweets uh, and um, starches and even things like alcohol, wine, um, marijuana, things like that when the sun's going down because your levels of serotonin are starting to drop and you may have a low level of those chemicals or those chemicals may not be working properly in your brain. You may have low dopamine levels and often people with low dopamine levels like stimulants, like caffeine, nicotine. Uh, They also might like sweets, of course, and starches and they also might gravitate towards... Fatty meats and cheeses; those things all increase dopamine levels. So, if our brain chemistry is off, there's a good chance that we have cravings and we're attracted to certain foods. And so, if your chemicals just seem slightly off, you don't feel like you're, you know, whacked out with cravings all the time. Then, doing the mindfulness practice that I teach might be enough to rewire the brain and you'll find you don't really need any adjustments to your chemicals but if you find that uh, your cravings are so intense all the time and you you're like i've worked with people who are just kind of binge eating all the time and very often with binge eaters the brain chemicals are off and so there are phenomenal supplements over the counter today that you can begin using amino acids and vitamins and herbs uh, that will help you adjust your brain chemistry. And some emotional eaters I've worked with, really 50% of their overeating was their brain chemistry was off. Um, And some of them, we won't even talk about this today because this is in my first book, uh, but many of them, their hormones are off. So it could be sex hormones are off, their insulin is off, um, their cortisol, their adrenal glands are overproducing. So there are a lot of factors, a lot of physical factors, brain chemistry, hormonal imbalances, food allergies, lots of things that we need to look at uh, to, you know, kind of ferret out what part of your overeating is related to physiology and what part might be emotional
1: and that is a huge deal right there. You know, like um so many people are now going to get the hormone shots and the hormone this and you know, they're they're only looking at part of the picture. And and I don't know. I I don't even want to go there because I have mixed feelings on some of the things that are now acceptable, like, you know, taking testosterone and, you know, some of the higher levels. And, you know, it works in some cases when there is, uh, but I think it's a bigger picture. And I I, I I like how you're saying it can can be a number of things. And really you have to address it from a different, you know, a number of different standpoints. So I like how you keep turning it to self-nurturing, listening to your own voice, your inner voice, and um, and really tuning in to reprogramming those neural pathways.
0: Yes, and, you know, when you talk about the, the building of the voice, that's why I wanted to write this book. In the first book, I really covered the mind, the body, and the spirit. We really went into all the imbalances, mind, body, and spirit, that underlie overeating. And in the first book, I introduced the reader. The first book is called The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual. And in the first book, I introduced the reader to this notion of developing and strengthening an inner supportive voice. We all need to have an inner supportive voice, and most of us have a very well-developed inner critic, and many of us have a very well-developed inner indulger. That's the voice that says, yeah, you had a really hard day. Let's, Let's go get cookies and we'll do better tomorrow. But what I found over nearly 30 years of working with overeaters and imbalanced eaters is that the majority of them do not have an inner supportive voice. And if we go back to this notion of nurturing when we're young, if we if we have parents that are very soothing and comforting and kind and they pay good attention to us and they're well attuned to our internal world, we are going to develop over time their voice in our head. And most of us can hear our mother's voice or our father's voice in our head in certain ways. But if if we've had a lot of nurturance, good quality nurturance, we're going to develop an inner nurturing voice. And initially when we're young, mommy is going to kind of regulate everything for us. You know, when we're having tension, mommy is going to swoop in and, through her voice and her face and her gestures. She's going to cuddle us and snuggle us, and she's going to regulate everything that we're feeling. As we become toddlers and we get a little older, we're going to co-regulate with mommy. So we're going to, mommy's going to kind of swoop in, and we're going to start to be able to say to ourselves, oh, mommy's here, it's okay, I'm okay. And so slowly we're going to build that voice. If we didn't have enough exposure to voices like that and it didn't properly get developed then we need to work on developing it and this is one of the main reasons I wrote the second book was that I wanted to teach people how to build and strengthen that inner supportive voice because when you build and strengthen that voice you are wiring that voice in so instead of just a a voice that says oh I'm scared or I don't look good, or I'll never be able to do this, or I'm not sure if I can. You start to wire in a voice that says, of course you can. You know, you're very skilled. You're, you're very talented. And I love you, and I care about you. A part of you, kind of that there's a part of you that's in pain, that's struggling, and there's a part of you that sees the part of you that's in pain. The comforter, the soother that sees all this. So we begin to wire in this voice. And I did this in my own journey uh, through emotional eating and, I, and to recovery. I'm, I consider myself fully 100% recovery, have been for decades. And so I know that it can be done because I didn't have a voice like this in my own head. And I noticed early in my journey that other people did have uh, more of this voice than I had. And I was very curious about this voice. Like, where, how do you? How do you think like that? How do you talk to yourself like that? I don't think like that when I talked to myself years ago. Didn't think like that. And so I began to practice skills and things I learned in therapy and I didn't know until years later when I learned about the neuroscience that what I had actually done myself was I had rewired my brain and it was and is today just a different brain than it was when I was much younger. So it's It's so exciting. Um, It's very exciting to me uh, to work with clients and and, uh, participants in my 12 week emotional eating recovery program and watch them begin to talk to themselves in a kind and loving way and begin to build that voice and then come back to me and say, you know, my eating is like a barometer for how loving I am, am to myself. So I had a really great week. I didn't overeat, I didn't binge. And I was really kind to myself and compassionate all week. And so they begin to see that the eating, when they're out of control with eating, they're disconnected from themselves and they're disconnected from that voice. And so, you know, we learn to build that voice. And as we do and as we rewire the brain, we begin to easily set limits with ourselves. So what does that look like? So we notice All of a sudden we're out to dinner and, um, you know, people are having dessert and we're easily able to say, "Eh, you know, I think I'm not going to have it. Or maybe we've often had trouble getting places on time and now we start to notice we're preparing, you know, 20 minutes in advance. We're giving ourselves an extra 20 minutes that we never used to give ourselves to get somewhere. So our life is changing because of the nurturance we're giving ourselves.
1: You know, it's so interesting. I have a a friend who he's very, very skilled in navigating the world, and you know, tuned in spiritually, and takes care of his mind, body, spirit. But he had this one thing about road rage, just and he tried to. He learned it from his father, and here he is, like fifty six years old, and it's still this deal. He's impatient, and so we decided this experiment. He thought, I'm going to leave twenty minutes early, no matter where I have to go and I'm just going to relax, I'm going to not be in the fast lane, and I want to see what happens. He did this for two weeks, and his whole life changed. Like, he realized, he looked at the other people who were doing what he used to do, and he was like, well, how could I have lived that way that long? And I'm like, don't put the, you know, focus there, instead focus on, how relaxed you are on the road now, how aware you are of the other drivers that you have to watch out for, basically, and um, and notice how you feel in your body, and he's just much more relaxed. So all of these behaviors, you know, can be changed, and I think that's the beautiful part. Your book gives great hope and tools, you know, it's not, and you you come at it from so many different angles. Um but, you know, I you know, I think that I think that you have to become aware, you know, and you have to be have that willingness. It's just like Esther and Jerry Hicks wrote the book Law of Attraction and then people, you know, started manifesting but they didn't they didn't know how to keep it. So the next book they wrote was The Deliberate Art of Allowing, allowing yourself to have the good and keep the good. And I didn't read your first book, but I read your second book, and I thought, you know, that's what happened when you wrote that book. People wanted even more. You know, it's like, okay, now we understand, but we want to understand even more how to better take care of ourselves. And um I mean you could you could this is a this is a societal problem right now. I mean, we have never had such an overweight nation. You know, children overweight everyone and it's it's indicative of a bigger problem and I think that when you say we have an addictive culture, it's just it's it's like so huge people don't even know where to begin. So your book is really a guidepost.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so funny because um oftentimes when people come to me, you know, and they'll tell me they've tried every diet they can, and you know that they could think of and and even when they're in the beginning of working with me uh they'll still try to bypass sometimes all the skill building that's required um all the skill building I teach in both books are skills that anybody at any age can acquire, and the majority of people that are reading the books are missing those skills they just didn't uh fully develop those skills, and so Oftentimes, people will, will still try to go the quick route. And they'll say, uh, like I'll say, well, when you wanted to turn to food and you were going to head to the drive through and get a cheesy bacon burger, did you stop and ask yourself, what's going on? Did you pop the hood? That's the first skill in the in the second book. Did you pop the hood and find out, what am I feeling? You know, what's going on in my body? What emotions am I feeling? And often people will say, well, I asked myself really quickly, and then I said, you've had enough, you, you've eaten burgers this week, and it's too much, and so we're not having any more. And then I drove off, so I set a limit. And I said to them, well, I'm, I'm glad you set the limit. <laughs> but that's still not what we're after, because ultimately that's going to backfire. If if you were able to do that, you wouldn't be coming to see me. If you are able to do that all the time, you'd have this resolved. So, you know, What's getting in the way of setting that limit is that it, it's just not working all the time for you. You know, you most of us, who come, most of people who come to see me. They know pretty much what healthy eating is. They know pretty much what they could do, either to lose weight if weight is the problem, or to improve their health if they're worried about their health. So the issue is not it, it's not so much about the setting of limits it's more about what is there not enough of in your life in what ways are you not nourished in what ways are you not filled up and if you ask most people who are struggling with any of their behaviors whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or sex or drama if you said what's there not enough of people will rattle off a list you know they'll say they're very aware Right. Right. They'll say, "Oh, there's not enough intimacy," or, um, you know, my husband doesn't never wants to talk to me about things, or you know, I don't have any a sexual partner in my life, or, um, you know, I'm not satisfied with my work, or there just isn't enough meaning and purpose and inspiration in my life, or I don't have enough joy, or I don't feel enough ease, I don't feel enough downtime. Well, as long as these issues are there and you're not resolving them and learning how to nurture yourself. Every day in your life, it doesn't matter whether you're raising three kids or you're a single, you know, person coming home alone every night, learning how to nurture yourself. And this is to the your the point your point of your friend where what he was really realizing it if we look at it in terms of nurturance was that rushing to wherever he was going and being really annoyed by all the annoying drivers that are out there was not a very nurturing way to be with himself. And that right. what he couldn't change in the equation is he couldn't change all the annoying drivers. But what he could change in the equation is the way that he nurtures himself. So he could nurture himself by giving himself extra time to get where he needed to go and relaxing and getting out of the fast lane with all the speeders right so right. right learning how to recognize what is there not enough of this is one of the skills in the book when we identify our needs what is there not enough of in your life and many emotional eaters not only do they tell me that when we pop the hood and we try and figure out what we're feeling many emotional eaters will say i haven't the faintest idea what i'm feeling some are very clear on what they're feeling many can kind of identify one or two emotions but not not that clear. Many are not very clear about what's going on in their bodies, the bodily sensations they're having. And many, many, many emotional eaters don't know what they need. So they'll say to me, I'll say, in that situation when you left work and you headed for the drive through and you just went in and ordered the In-N-Out Burger, what do you think you were really needing? Right? And they'll often say, I have the faintest idea. I don't know. I, a, a burger sounded good. And I'll say, okay, maybe you were hungry, so you needed a little bit of food, but it wasn't really a burger that you were looking for. And then I have lists in my book you know, to help you identify what are these needs. So then maybe the person says, I guess I really wanted comfort. I guess I really wanted soothing after a hard day. I guess I wanted, I need reassurance that my life could get better I guess I need hope I really needed hope now think about it do you, do you think an in and out burger <laughs> I'm, I'm advertising for them do you think an in and out burger can give you hope <laughs> or reassurance I know, it's
1: crazy it's crazy right yep I it get it. it's
0: not going to come from the food so we've got to unpack Frame it. we've got to unpack all of it
1: You know, it's so, there's so many things. I loved how you uh, put the quote from Carolyn Mace about our bodies. Everything's recorded. I mean, it's all there. You know, it's just all there. And reading your book, of course, you know, it triggered some of my things because, you know, I'm looking at what did I learn. And, you know, I grew up with one of, I was one of six children, but my mom was one of nine children. And basically she did not learn about nourishment because her mother was a single parent. You know, for a good part of uh, My mom's growing up And, you know, they, they got a chicken on Sunday You know, that was the big deal That was the Sunday dinner And so my mom really had no idea And we were always so grateful That her sister, our aunt Married Joe Valenti because we got Italian food One night a week, you know, we knew that One night <laughs> My my mom just wasn't a good cook and And a lot of it was, it didn't matter to her But she had six kids to feed So she had to figure it out, sort of and you knew it was a special day when you got your special, like like for your birthday or something, you know. And I thought, gosh, look at the programming. I mean, look at the programming. And, you know, she did the best she could, but she had no idea. She really had no idea. And, you know, and then I've been a single parent a good part of my life, and I'm probably healthier now than I've ever been, and all three of my kids – well, I would say two of my kids, two of the three, are health-based and they're eating, et cetera. The other one, force of circumstances because of health problems, has had to be, um, kind of not had to be, but uh, gluten-free and dairy-free. And when I started helping her navigate food, it's like I look at food in a whole different way. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong process of learning and you know the grocery stores as you said they just don't help there's the newest and greatest and most of the stuff is just filled with horrible things but i it's really not the food this is what this is what this book by the end of it gave me it's like it's not the food it's you're wiring with Nurturing yourself and taking the time Like I loved the one part where you said You know there are people who buy Like the special desserts Or the special high-end chocolate You didn't say that but that's what I read into it And you know they have these things And then sometimes they forget they even had them And they throw them out because they're stale So what's the trick?
0: Right that's why you know I write that In the introduction because you think to yourself I I was reading there was a, 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 a Someone who writes about addiction And he was saying how it is all brain wiring because you can you can have one person in the hospital for pain and you'll give that person pain meds and the person will take them and then then they'll say, Ugh, I don't want to don't give me any more doc, you know, I feel kind of woozy on it and I'm tired and I don't really want it and another person will take the pain meds, they'll like the way they feel, and then they'll get addicted to it. Right? And so clearly it's not the pain medication itself that's addictive. It's clearly something that's going on in the brain why one brain will want more of it. And it's the same thing for food. It's not just the food that's addictive because you know, if it if it was just the food, then we wouldn't have those people that can have the fancy chocolates in the house have one or two, and then forget they're there and they go stale. If it was just the food that was so addictive, everybody would be addicted to it. So it really is, you ask yourself, well, how do those people have the control, you know, that they have those chocolates in the house, that they have those specialty cookies, and then they don't even eat them and they forget about them. That's the point that I wanted to make in the book is it's not about control. It's really about that their brains got wired differently early on and you think about what you said with your mother. Your mother is one of nine children,
1: right?
0: Uh, unless yeah. there's a village, and you said your, her mom was a single mom, unless there was a village around for those nine children, how could one mother, and even your mother raising six children, how could one parent possibly meet the emotional needs for nurturance of nine children? Or six children. I mean you need a village right. to do that.
1: Right. Oh no, I get this what, it. This is what this is what's missing it. today. Yeah, I mean, I read this book, and you know, I, I, it just, you know, you, you think, it, you look at your own life with the self inquiry, you know, your, your self assessment, and, you know, you look at all these things, and you're just like, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, and you know, and I just really acknowledge you for saying, okay, you can turn this around, but you have to do it from a lot of different levels. It's not just putting the food not in your house. That's not going to solve the problem.
0: Right. It's just not, it's so much not about the food. The food is one part of it. Of course, we need to be eating nutrient-dense food um, and not eating a lot of processed food and not eating mass quantities of foods of animal origin. But food is only one part of it. We need to be moving our bodies. We were meant for movement. Our ancestors were moving all the time. We're not meant to be sitting. Sitting is a new smoking. So, And we're meant to be getting... Restorative sleep, just like our bodies are wired to to eat to satiation, we're supposed to eat high volume of nutrient dense plant food. We're meant to sleep to satiation. We're supposed to sleep until we wake up without an alarm clock and get get rejuvenative sleep every night. But you know, in today's modern world, we're missing the sleep. We're we're functioning 24/7. We've got our devices on with lights you know on in the room all night i have, we have uh, sound clients machines tell me on. they on we have sound <laughs> machines on we have all this stuff going on our bodies are unhealthy from all of it and you know so we have to slow down and we have to take a look at you know how do we achieve you know mind body and spirit balance and so We do want to address it from a body front uh, and a physiological front. We do want to look at the foods we're eating. We do want to pay attention to hunger signals and fullness cues and cravings. We do want to move our bodies the right amount. We do want to get the right amount of sleep. But that's only one part of the puzzle. The other big part of the puzzle is those self-care skills, the emotional skills that we're talking about, Learning how to connect to our inner world. You think about it. You go out in the world and you meet people, and you, you wonder how many people spend time tuning into their inner world? How are you feeling about your relationship with your partner? How are you feeling about your relationship with your children? How are you feeling about the work you do in the world? Are you fulfilled? Are you connecting to yourself in an intimate way? Do you nurture yourself regularly? Do you meet your needs? Are you aware of your needs? All of this stuff, how many people are really taking a look at all of this?
1: Very few. And you know it from your psychotherapy practice, very few. So I'm I'm going to take a moment, and I want to read. This is part two of the book. Part one is... Um, really looking at the parental nurturing beyond food and shelter. Like, what did you get? And, you know, remember by age three your personality is set, your trust issues are set, so much happens in those first three years of life. and um, But at any rate, we go from from that to part two of the book, Inner Nurturing, Becoming Your Own Best Friend. And the um, there are the, the seven skills skill chapters, each one's a chapter, um, and this is all to support developing a supportive inner voice. So, Skill one, Julie has talked about just a little bit, pop the hood, um, uh, name and uh, track emotions and bodily sensations, like what's really going on with me wanting to have this cheeseburger. Um, number two, practice self-validation. Number three, reinforce the alliance and offer love, support, and comfort. Um, let's see. And by the way, three. that skill number three,
0: when you're reinforcing the alliance, what's, what that's about is building this alliance between that very nurturing, supportive, comforting, soothing, helpful, wise voice inside, building an alliance between that part of you and the part of you, what I call the feeling self, that maybe is scared, anxious, worried, lonely, ashamed, afraid, building an alliance so that you never feel like you're just all feeling self. you're just having so much anxiety, so much sadness, so much depression, so much loneliness, so much shame, and there's nothing inside that swoops in, like I said earlier when when the infant is having tension and is crying, Mommy swoops in, and her her tone and her eye contact and her touch is so soothing. You want to have that inside yourself, all of us, no matter what age we are. We have things that upset us. We have things that scare us. We find out from the doctor that we have a health challenge and we get scared when we hear the word cancer or something else. We need to have, in addition to any friends or family members we have, we need to have a voice inside of us that when we get scared that says, when the doctor says you have cancer or your blood pressure is high or you are now diabetic, we need to have a voice inside that says, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm closer than your breath. I'm holding your hand. Together we're going to get through this. I see you. I know you're scared. You're never alone, right? And we, we're going to need that voice when we take our last breath. So it's if you don't have that voice built, it's critical that you start building it today.
1: <laughs> right, right. You know, and uh, I mean, and that we can all develop. This is something that, you know, is not impossible, but it takes attention. It takes mindfulness, like you, um, you know, wrote about in the early part of the book. And um, I like how you segue into skill number four, get clear on needs. You know, I think that. A lot of us don't focus on, is this a need or a want? Is, and what are my needs? What do I need to feel connected, validated, and nurtured? You know, and, and
0: also, you know, often when I ask my clients, I'll say, you know, you're saying that you're not getting something from your comfort or soothing from your husband. And I'll say, what what does that look like? What, what would that look like? And they might say, oh, having him tell me that everything is going to be okay you know, that things will turn out okay. And so I'll say, what would happen if you said that to yourself? And they might say, well, I don't believe it. And I'll say, so why do you think your husband has the crystal ball on how everything's going to go, but you don't? Like, what makes his voice more soothing or command more authority than your own, right? Right. So often... We need. We might be clear on what we want from someone else. I want them to tell me it's okay, or I want them to uh, remind me of my strengths, or I want them to give me confidence and boost my self-esteem. Why can't we do that for ourselves? We need to be able to do that for ourselves.
1: You know, I think the sacred honoring and, um, you know, we're not taught this. We are not taught take care of yourself first unless we're on an airplane. And if it's something happens, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first before your children. And then it's like that that's probably one of the few times we actually hear this in our society. You know, like so many of us were raised, myself included, with um you don't take that last piece of cake or that last piece of chicken or think of the poor people in China. That's how we grew up. If we left food on, our, you know, in a Catholic school setting back in the day, you ate every bite of your food no matter what because think of those poor people in China. It's like so much of the programming is in there to think of other people first or to think of, you know, what about this? And it's really, if you don't take care of yourself, who, you know, the bottom line is, and you address this, I love this, with the creating nurturing connections, you have to create the nurturing connection with yourself first.
0: Right. And the good news is it's not mutually exclusive. You know, know, taking care of ourselves doesn't mean we ignore everyone else's needs i mean we can be taking care of our needs while we're taking care of other people and when we take care of our needs we're so much more available you know when we feel nourished from the inside we have so much more to offer everyone else but i don't think it's mutually exclusive i think we can be meeting our children's needs and meet our own
1: Right, you know, you know, there's this, there's this book, and I forget what the book was, but Michelle Obama was interviewed, and she, this was before Barack was president, and she was just annoyed, you know, she got the kids lunches, she got the kids ready, I mean, everything, and you know, and she was a full time lawyer, and you know, in her in her mind, that was part of her role as being a mother, and then one day she realized. She resented her husband. She resented her children. She just resented this whole deal that went with everything. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to get up an hour and a half early, and I'm going to leave and go to the gym, and then I'll get ready and go to work from there. And Barack can get up and get these girls ready and get them off to school. And she said it was the only way that she could fit in doing the exercise, feeling better about herself, and know that it would all work. And she's like, I just knew it gave my kids one-on-one time with their dad. It got me to the gym, so I felt better about me. And she said, in many ways, I think it saved our marriage.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because not only women, not only are we women raised, you know, to do it all, uh, even sometimes our partners will say well let me help you and it's really we're not looking for help it's like partnership it's it's not my job that you're helping me with it's our job that we help each other with but you know i think we women got that programming and then in fairness to men you know they were programmed the same way to believe that this is all women's work right that taking care of children and the house and everything is women's work and so I think you know, just like Michelle Obama's modeling that you know we 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 become aware that this is unfair and it's imbalanced, and there's no way with all of that on our shoulders that we can take care of ourselves, and so then we learn to set boundaries and we learn to make demands uh and assert ourselves, and you know all of that is part of good self-care
1: i've always said i want to write a book called sacred selfishness but then i think ugh, people would miss the point but but it's sacred honoring you know and um and that's I mean, really that's a great
0: title by the way
1: <laughs> I, do you think sacred selfishness i mean that's really what i want to call it but then I'm i am like, think it's oh, a great title
0: i don't think people would miss the point
1: i think i think it's going to trigger some people but you know what it's really the truth it's like it's a great play on yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I wanted to write less is more because, you know, I'm a feng shui consultant and, oh, my goodness, you go into houses, you know, and mine used to be this way. I, I I remember my one of my spiritual teachers saying, your problem is not manifesting. You manifest. People give you stuff all the time. She said, your problem is that you have too much stuff. And it's really been a process of letting it go, letting it go, letting it go, and teaching others to let it go and to really embrace Love it, use it, or lose it, and less is more. And, you know, I think that the refrigerator is a perfect thing. When a refrigerator is overflowing and totally stuffed to the gills, you can't even see everything that's in it. And it's like the minute we do less is more. Like the Europeans walk to the grocery store or ride their bikes, and they don't buy food for two weeks at a time. They buy food for a short term and it's fresh, it's not in Myers bags that keep your vegetables fresh for three weeks or a month. It's like, no, it's like, it's part of honoring the family and the nurturing the family and cooking for the family that you just buy for a few days and then you go back and get fresh things again. It's really a process, isn't it?
0: Yes, and then, you know, you're walking to get the groceries, so, and you're carrying them, you know, all, it all goes back and you know, all harkens to uh, earlier times, slower times, uh, valuing uh, fresh, healthy food, valuing taking care of ourselves. And we can, you know, we can get back to that. I think, you know, I think for a lot of probably the listeners today that, you know, we are living in such hectic times. I say in the end of the book that I really think the global – Obesity crisis is a global nurturance crisis. I really think parents are unnurtured. Children aren't nurtured enough. Um, You know, everywhere we go, we see people stressed out. We see people that aren't smiling. You know, everybody's not feeling nurtured. So something has to give. And I think it begins at home, and it begins with, if you're struggling with food, um, you know, beginning by pulling away, take a ten minute pause. I talk about that in the book. Take a ten minute pause and ask yourself, what am I feeling today? I'm about to. I've just walked in the house. I'm a little stressed out. I'm about to. I got my hand in the chip bag, and I know what happens when I do this. You know, I'll probably polish off the bag before I even think about preparing dinner. Let me just go sit on the couch. I've taught so many people that when they come home, I say, when you come home, do not head for the kitchen. When you come home, transition. Make your transition. If you're going to change your clothes, go change your clothes. If you're going to look at the mail, go sit down, relax, look at the mail. Transition. Nurture yourself just starting there. If you're really feeling like you want to do damage with food, take a 10-minute pause. Ask yourself... What am I feeling? You know, because most of us during the day kind of rack up feelings, right? We've <laughs> got a lot of stuff, a lot of encounters, a lot of transitions. A lot of stuff can come up in a day. And, and the more sensitive you are, probably the more stuff there is. Take a little inventory for 10 minutes. What am I feeling? Am I, I'm feeling tight. I'm mean, feeling some tension in my neck. I'm noticing some a racy feeling in my chest from the traffic, um, maybe we put our hand on our heart, maybe we take in some deep breaths, slow down a little bit, regulate the nervous system, maybe there's some leftover residue from the day, like uh, you know that thing that my coworker said still kind of bothering me, okay, why don't we take a little time with that? I love to encourage people to journal. That's what I do. Um, But if you're not oriented towards journaling, maybe just sitting uh, with yourself and processing, what am I feeling about what my coworker said, right? Uh Second skill in the book is validation. Begin to bring in that nurturing voice. I feel hurt that my coworker said what she said to me. I felt unheard. Okay, bring in that nurturing voice. Well, it makes sense to feel that way. It's okay to feel that way. Bring that inner nurture in. I'm here with you. I'm here with you right now. I know you're upset about that. I'm here with you. Now we're starting to regulate the nervous system. We're much less likely to overeat now. We're much less likely to feel like we need two glasses of wine to calm down. Now we identify our needs. Okay, we're going to make some dinner, but what do you need in this situation with what the coworker said and what you're feeling? What do you need? I guess I need to assert myself with her. I guess I need to have a little bit better boundaries. I shared something with her that I shouldn't have shared. Yeah, I guess I need better boundaries. Okay, now we're feeling much better about what happened at work and if we came home and we didn't do what what i just ran us through and we just grabbed the bag and we ate all the chips and then we felt bad that we just did that and then we had two glasses of wine we would never build any skill that way and we would never understand ourselves better and we would never learn that our boundaries are a little bit too loose so these skills they're simple to learn anybody can learn them at any age and there's more skills than this we learn how to catch and reframe our self-defeating thoughts we learn how to highlight our resources and hold hope for the future and we learn how to meet our needs and set gentle and effective limits with ourselves so you can do this anybody listening who's struggling with their food or any other wayward behavior you can do this
1: and listeners, you are listening to Julie M. Simon. She is the author of When Food is Comfort. Um, you can find more information at her website, www.overeatingrecovery.com. She is a therapist. She has uh, different programs that she offers. She does individual coaching as well. She's a certified personal trainer, and she's worked with all of this for over 25 years, uh, designing nutrition programs, designing exercise programs, really helping people Learn to reframe their life, and learning how to nurture, and coming from mindfulness. So, any final words? I mean, you just—I just am grateful for the work that you're doing for so many, and um, so thank you. From you, you've helped me greatly, just with reframing some things and looking at it differently. Um, I love your book absolutely. So, any final words, Julie, for the listeners? Um, we, we have about one more minute. <laughs>
0: I would just want to tell everyone that it, there is complete recovery. If you're struggling with emotional eating, there's complete recovery. Don't ever give up hope. Um, it's not like you have to have this battle uh, for the rest of your life. Um, I know the road. I can help you. You can work with me in a 12-week program. You can read my books. You can go to my website and download two free chapters from either of the books if you want to get started reading right away. Um Come read the blogs on my my website, overeatingrecovery.com. There's definitely hope. Hold the hope. Keep the faith.
1: And there it is so there's no excuse (laughs) you're being offered all kinds of opportunities here to reclaim your life and do it in a different way so thank you so much for being my guest thank you for contributing an article there is a wonderful article in the april issue spiritseeker.com and just keep us posted i mean you know anything we can do to help you i i think you're doing great work for the planet so thank you so much
0: oh thank you for having me it's been my pleasure
1: Okay. All right. Good night, everyone. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a great week. Thanks, Julie. You're welcome.